I didn't mean to make you guys cry. I didn't mean to cry, but it is an honor. I love you guys to be in this house with us. And, and uh, man, if John wasn't here, I'd have you preach. So, but John is here. Hey, it is also my privilege to welcome one of my brothers, um, really my, one of my co-laborers for the cause of the kingdom. And in many ways, he's much further down the road than me, not just because he's older, But because in the kingdom, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And this man knows Jesus because he's walked with him, laying it all on the line, believing a better narrative than the narrative of self, but believing the narrative of the kingdom. That when we lose ourselves, that's where we actually find and we tap into our kingdom and redemptive purposes. And John Huddle has been used all over the world to stir a hunger and a passion in the hearts of God's people, not just to uh, do a run, although we are going to run, church, and you're going to hear about it, but to, but to shift course, and that's what we call repentance, and to stop being so consumed with ourselves and jumping into the greater narrative, the narrative that really will have no end, and it's of the increase of the government and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we partner with him, what we do in the spirit and the kingdom, it has no shelf life. It lives past us. Isn't that good news? And so John is a pastor down in Los Angeles. He is a disciple-making master. He pours into people um, and, and disciples them and helps them be trained to know how to follow Jesus. And also, he just so happens to be sort of a big deal within one of the largest, if not the largest, Christian, um, uh, uh, you'll, you'll help me, I'm sorry, I didn't memorize this part, uh, organizations in the world called World Vision. And so without further ado, can you li uh, lift up, as, as Ron used to say, a rockin' cornerstone welcome to Pastor John Huddle. Come on. Goodness gracious. Hey, it's an honor to be with you today. And uh, I, uh, I uh, man, I'm just speechless. Um, so, um, wow. Um, it's a good day, yeah? yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can see that picture, but that is my uh, soulmate, uh, Amanda. And uh, just recently in the Huddle House, it was the fifth day of school, all right? Uh, my, uh, my third grader made that special sign. And, uh, and that is not us getting in a fight. Uh, my former DS said to me, uh, um, do we need marriage counseling when this picture went on Facebook? No way, buddy. That's what you look like when you don't need counseling. She detoxed our kids off screens this summer, completely. I've not heard Peppa Pig oink in my house since May. And I, lo I love Peppa. I love Peppa. But I'm, I'm loving when it gets quiet. I'm not like, oh, no, what did they sneak? It's like they're in the corner reading books like nerds. And, you know, and my daughter, and, and you're not going to believe this. Some of you I know won't believe it but you because you're just getting to know me, but you have to trust me. I don't push my kids into anything, I promise, all right? My daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, i got to read a story, my third grader, to the Friday church out of my children's Bible this Friday. Can I do it? And I said, uh, uh, and I had all these thoughts because my dad was a pastor, and he was very careful about putting any, you know, like put me out there, putting any pressure on me, and I just said yes. <laughs> I had to say yes. 
So then she comes in the day before. She's like, I got some questions people need to answer, Daddy, if they're going to read this story. So I'm typing out her questions. And you should have seen this girl, man, this eight-year-old. She was blowing everybody away just by how passionate she was about the story. And, um, and I, uh, I'm, uh, I appreciate you letting me share. In fact, I got a picture of them up here. Um, there, there are my three knuckleheads right there. And we have an, an adopted son who's in his uh, mid-20s, um, Carlton. Both of his parents passed away when he was in high school within 10 months of each other. We adopted him into our family. And, uh, um, and, and that is our Two, two out of three of those kids have had stitches in the last three weeks because they play outside, all right? They actually play outside. Think of that. You know, um, I'm opening with my family today because um, my wife does not always feel like she's crushing it on the fifth day of school. So my analogy for my wife is she is a supercomputer. I mean, she's not the most brilliant woman in the room. She's the most brilliant person in the room, all right? And people don't know how to handle that. And she is choosing, by God's grace, to focus on our children during this season. And so not all of the cores in her processor are being used, but one core is being used a lot. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so there are times she gets really down, and I'm having to woof her up. and I'm having to, I'm having to speak back to her what she's doing. But sometimes we do work that God calls us to do, and we have people in our lives woof into our lives the opposite. They, um, they remind us of our insignificance, or they, they remind us of how petty the work is. Um, we have these grand visions of doing grand things in the kingdom and in the church, and then Jesus puts three snotty-nosed middle schoolers in our way, and we're like, uh, well, th- this isn't what I had in mind, Jesus. You know, who was never picky, by the way. When Simon Peter said to me, get away from me, I'm a, great, I'm a huge sinner. In Luke 5, he didn't disagree. Jesus didn't disagree. He just said, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Then did they go to temple in the next verse? No. Did they go to the Sermon on the Mount? No. They went together and broke Levitical law. They touched a leper. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched a leper. And in that moment, he did something no rabbi in history had ever done. And that's what he did. And that's, that's how he led, you know. He took bold risks. He united his people around that kind of action, you know. Um, and he got run down for it, too. So I got a video that's very deep, and it's going to move you to tears. No, it's not. Um, uh, but it's, uh, um, it, I think, illustrates this, and we're going to start it right now. It takes it a second to start, but here we go illustrates this point. No, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Eighth reception today. You mean phone call? Yesterday I had 109 receptions. A few more I could have broken the record. What record? They're phone calls. I'm sorry, is this the reception desk or the phone call desk? Reception desk. Thank you. Excuse me. ESPN, Antonio speaking. (laughs) Hold on, I'll put you right through. All day. Watch the Starbucks. Boom. (laughs) All right, if you don't know who that is, that's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And the reason why his hair looks funny is because he has helmet head. Any former football players in the room, anybody? Yeah? Okay, he takes that helmet off. He's got helmet head. Why does he have helmet head? He set, you can see it. He set the helmet down behind him. Now, that's his sweet spot. That's where his gifts are. Are you following me? 
That's his top five in Strength Finders 2.0. He took the helmet off. He set it down behind him. He sits down at the desk. And here comes old school ESPN guy running him down, telling him, what are you doing here? What are you, this isn't your, what are you doing? This doesn't mean nothing. And he speaks power. He speaks truth to power. He speaks truth to power. And he says, is this reception desk or the phone call desk? The reception desk. And he reminds him that he knows what he's doing and he's dialed in on it. Whoever made that commercial, I actually think, was, was kind of brilliant because the, it makes you laugh because there's a lot of unspoken stuff going on beneath the surface. This idea of even I used to teach in the university level and, and NCAA athletes, Division I athletes, everybody always thinks they get treated like, you know, like superstars. And on some campuses they do, but on my campus they got treated like secondhand citizens. Always being talked down to. Their scholarships weren't, weren't as respectable as other people's scholarships. It made me crazy. And these guys, a lot, a lot of these guys and gals, they work their entire, you know, young adult lives to get those scholarships, you know. But when we are in a position of power and we are ap- apathetic or we're in a position of power and, we're, you know, like I, I remember your daddy said to me once, he said to me, huddle, I see the spirit of God in your life, but where's the fire? That was back in 2011. And he nailed me. At that time, the fire wasn't there. Sometimes we get in a place like that, and something awesome is happening right before somebody's weaknesses. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a great sinner. No, 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 man. You're going to come with me. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisherman. And in that moment where you are very weak, Jesus is going to start doing his greatest work. He's going to pour right into that and make you into the you know, man and woman that you were, you were born to be. You know? So... Um, so I want to, I got this question up here, is this your dream job? And I have to tell you a story. Um, so I, uh, I've always been, uh, I can't stand this phrase, but it is the phrase that describes my life. I always have been a bivocational pastor, meaning a tent-making pastor. I, I taught for 12 years, like I mentioned, um, and, then, uh, um, and, then, and then in my 12th year, I was interviewing for some pretty cool teaching jobs, and my buddy calls me up on a Saturday morning in February 2011, and he says, his name's Michael Chitwood. He's an Olivet Nazarene graduate, if any of you are familiar with the Olivet Naz schools, yeah. Big old tall guy. And uh, um, he says, Johnny, I want you to run a marathon with me. And I said, Michael, No. <laughs> no, no. And he says to me, Johnny, do you still have a heart, a heart for kids in East Africa? And Michael knew my story. When I was a kid, my, my, my long story in a nutshell is I was a violent, physically abusive and violent kid in the home and at school between the ages of 11 and 17. And when I was 17, Jesus healed me of my temper like he had healed me of five different kinds of cancer. It was miraculous, all right? But um, uh, a man from Nairobi, Kenya, who was a first-generation graduate student at the University of Illinois, his name is Nafat, he made a massive impact in my life, so much so that when I went back to the university, I minored in African studies. I took Swahili as my foreign language. I had a, a born-again believing dean and professor that, who just went, stepped into heaven two weeks ago, but um, who mentored me and poured into me and, and told me, you got to do this, you got to do this. And so I did it, and I got conversational with Swahili, and I felt like I was a pretty awesome dude because I was reading all Karanga, and I was studying all this stuff, and I never did anything with it. Ten years go by. I mean, over ten years. I'm 36 years old. I, weigh, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am today. I had a totally torn meniscus in my right knee. And my buddy Chitwood is inviting me to run a marathon with him. And then he calls me out and he says, do you still have a heart for these kids? And my exact words, I remember I was in the backyard at my house on the phone. 
And I said, I think I do. And I bet you 10 bucks, which I'm not allowed to bet, right? But it's just, you know, I still talk like I'm in elementary school. You'll figure that out pretty quick. I bet you 10 bucks that many of you have things just like that. Things God lit your heart on fire for. You, 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 you poured, you studied, you learned. Because that's what we do. We, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we have taken that scripture and we've made it. Jesus says, I am the truth, teaching, teaching, teaching. The life, you get eternal life if you accept these propositional arguments. And then the way, you can go on a short-term mission trip one day. Whereas Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Get on the way. Follow me. Then the truth's going to start making sense for the first time in your life. And then the life's going to result. All right? And I, I tend to over, it's an overly linear reading of that passage, but maybe not, guys. Maybe not. The way is messy. The way is crazy. And I have measured myself on the way by the intentions in my heart. Not by what I'd actually done, the, fr- the fruit and the tree. And so I said to Chip, well, man, it's breaking me up right now. I said, I think I do. And he said, well, what if I told you that by running a marathon with me in L.A., you could do more good for kids in Kenya And if you moved there and lived there for a year and came home, would you do it? And my heart lit on fire, and I said yes. God miraculously healed my knee through a brother's prayer at a Pete's Coffee Shop in Marina Del Rey at 7.15 in the morning. I did a Jillian Michaels workout DVD secretly, secretly (laughs) after that. Lost a few pounds. My wife's like, you need something more challenging than that. Every day I was testing the healing without meaning to test it, but I was pushing it to the limits. And so then I went through P90X. I graduated from P90X. And I thought, God's getting me ready for something. And at the end of P90X, Tony Horton says, now go out and run a marathon. And I was like, I would never do that. Two months later, I had the call with you, what I just told you about. After that year. Isn't that crazy? So I said yes. And then I got to meet. Ava, my sponsor kid. Now, tough picture, but she's got a, a, a necklace on that my daughter made, a headband on that my daughter bought, and that's in uh, northern Tanzania. Ava walks a 10, or walked, she doesn't anymore, I'm giving the end of the story away, but it's all right. She walked from the age of 5 to 12, a 10-kilometer round-trip walk before the sun came up. Another 10-kilometer round-trip walk midday. Now, middle of the day is when she's at risk for hyena attacks or human trafficking, sex trafficking. Her, um, the number one source for sex trafficking and human trafficking in Africa is the route kids take to dirty water every day. I don't know if you're familiar with the dirty water crisis. Some of you may be experts in it. But um, 660 million people don't have access to clean water. When you shut down that route, you shut down that risk. The biggest killer on the planet is not HIV AIDS or malaria or both of them combined. It's diseases caused from lack of access to dirty water and lack of safe places to go potty, to go to the bathroom. If a kid goes out of the hut and after the sun goes down and goes to the bathroom, they are risking their lives. Halima, Ava's older sister, told me, Johnny, this girl, she'll be married by 12. And I was sitting there at their hut with all these like World Vision experts who are all indigenous Tanzanians, right? I mean, not white guys like me. These are indigenous Africans that, that God has raised up to be these leaders, right? And I said, Halima, why will you say that? She said, World Vision's wonderful. You're doing wonderful work. But she's still out there getting that water every day. Every day. So she's at risk. She's exposed. Well, now she is 14 years old. 
She is in school. She's been in school for two years. She is not married. She is following Jesus. Her dad has planted three churches. I mean, and I'm talking, this guy was a Maasai chief. Still has the stamps on his face. Still has the tooth knocked out where they pour blood and milk in your, mouth, in your gullet if you get knocked out in a battle. Brother now is speaking through that same mouth the truth and power of Jesus. Right? But his daughter is no more at risk. And instead of living with this acceptable level of, it's an unacceptable level of risk, all the promises of Jesus, man, are like glittering before her. <laughs> you know? That, I do amen to that. I, I believe in that, you know. And, um, and so Chit would ask me over dinner a few months after our conversation, Johnny, would you come and work for Team World Vision? Will you leave teaching behind and come and work for Team World Vision? I prayed about it. I talked about it with the church. I had a dear friend of mine in the church say, you're never going to get this job. So she said to me. And I said, why would you say that, Midgey? And she said, it's just too perfect. It's just to you and Johnny, you need to be out there running. I've seen you come in from runs as she had. And I'll be like emotionally and spiritually pushed and stretched in really good ways, you know. And she had never seen me like that because the running was tough for me. And, uh, and so he asked me point blank at that meeting, he says, is this your dream job? And in that moment, and I'm almost, we're going to scripture next, guys. And this story, I've prayed about this. You are supposed to hear this story today, Okay. In that moment, these bullet points shot up this shoulder. No, this is not my dream job. I hate this. A year ago, I couldn't even ride a bike. Runners are weird, Chitwood. There are all these things going on. And in that very same moment, I'm telling you, I heard this voice over the shoulder saying to me, Hey, buddy, your whole life you've told me that you wanted to make the poor a central part of your life. I'm giving you an opportunity to do that right now. You could declare to your buddy Michael right now, with my wife was sitting next to me, that loving on these kids is your dream job. And as, as God is my witness, and I'm not swearing, I'm just saying he was there with me, and I share this with you. When I said to him, Chitwood, I think this is my dream job, my heart was totally pure. I was at total peace. And I left that life behind, the life of teaching I loved. I mean, I put the helmet down. Are you following me? I put the helmet down, guys. I sat down at, at, a, at a, I was paying student loans for graduate degrees, and I wasn't even using stepping, in, stepping into a position that was an associate's degree, minimum degree position. Don't care. The Lord then blew it up. Blew it up, and I'm going to tell you some stories about that in a little bit. This is what Ava looks like, though, when she's out there carrying water, all right? She's got a 40-pound jerry can. It's a diesel can. She has the stick in her hand. Do you see that? Just give me some shout-outs. Why do you think she's got a stick in her hand? Somebody from up top. Why do you think she's got a stick in her hand? Protection. She's alone. She is alone, and she's got to protect herself. That stick's not going to do nothing if she gets bum-rushed. But that's the acceptable level of risk these kids have. And this is how we address it. Now, that brother on the left is Ronald Amolo. That's Samuel Gamusa. These are my people. These guys are our experts in the field that help these villagers develop these water projects. Okay? Um, World Vision's the largest clean water provider on the planet that is not a government 
and we are Christian. UNICEF, which I could talk about UNICEF because we partner with them from time to time, their projects last, according to the University of North Carolina, a minimum 13 years, which is great. World Visions last, according to the same study, a minimum of 20 years. And there's all this mystery. Well, why, why, why? Well, let me, I'm going to tell you why right now. Because on the cellular level of the work God's allowed us to do in the field, Jesus is there on the cellular level. And our villagers do all the work that we do in the field. So what I do is I help motivate people to support the Ronalds and the Samuels and the Barnabases and the incredible guys that we have working for us in the field. This is Ronald breaking down this incredible water project to Tracy, one of my runners from Ranch Cucamonga who had never run a 5K before she signed up to run with Team World Vision. And this is Ronald at a massive lake. Can you see that lake? If you can't, say yes. yes. All right. So that was a little crummy little pond, okay? Real, I mean, like, like about the size of Sheila's head, all right? But they noticed that there were two springs feeding it. And Ronald has his uh, master's in hydrology and development. So he... He also has a crippling stutter. So he, uh, he led all these villagers to go in there and to dredge out around this crummy pond and make this massive lake. And then they dropped a pipe in the middle of that lake. Okay, this is just to give you a picture of the kind of work that God's allowing these people to do. If Ronald turns and looks down that mountain, that mountain, actually, he's already looking down it. But if you look at where he is looking, that's what you'll see. These two massive tanks, villager built, villager maintained, 576,000 cubic liters of water filtered a day through that filter using all indigenous natural stuff. It's a slow sand filter. That water gets pumped. Well, that's me just geeking out. Sorry. Um, yeah, moving on. All right. That water gets pumped to that tank, and from that tank, 8,000 people over a 10-kilometer by 10-kilometer region get the water. And by God's grace, uh, we funded that. Like our Team World Vision runners funded that. So World Vision, this massive clean water thing, what, what is Team World Vision? Well, Team World Vision is, um, is a ministry where we teach people who've never done it how to walk or run half marathons and marathons. And, you know, when you join a gym, people always say, oh, which gym did you join? Oh, that's cool. But when you sign up for a half marathon or a marathon, even to walk a half marathon, people always ask you, well, why did you do that? And we just teach our people how to how to answer that question you know well we i'm doing it to help kids get clean water want to help me what race are you doing la marathon oh that's crazy and it inspires people because they see everybody putting their helmet down and my training is designed for 60 year old 60 year old overweight men and women who have never run yeah, so we had an 86-year-old from Trinity Church of the Nazarene do the full L.A. Marathon last year, Henry. We had a 13-year-old do the half last year, crushed it. We got two 11-year-olds requesting to get in. I don't know if I can get them in. I'm, I'm working on it right now. But, um, but this guy has become my example, my teacher. I'll follow him down the mountain anywhere. That's Ronald. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to talk to you today about how to hear that voice. I, the reason why I'm telling you this long story is I want to cook down on, okay, Johnny, remember, I don't know you. You could already be rocking it out in your life, but you know exactly where you are right now, okay? Most of us have this, like, cage or, me, like, a metal cage full of 
personality traits that we say that's who we are and I can't operate outside of that cage and we tell ourselves that's maturity we tell ourselves that's knowing who we are and it is simply a lie like our culture around us through media they will shove paradigms down your throat of what it means to be in your 30s what it means to be in your 40s what it means to be in your 50s I stood over the bed of one of our ladies um, who's in the hospital right now and, and, and she's weeping I said why are you weeping and she said because I just dream God's God, God's going to still do things, but I feel like maybe I missed it. And I said, that's the enemy. You've not missed nothing. Right now, in your life, this is true as well. Right now, you're more primed to do what God created you to do than you have ever been in your life. Regardless of age or ability, it's not about ability. And it's not about your idea of what an awesome leader would look like. It's just about you saying yes. So how do you say yes? This is how you say yes. Blank screen. All right, here it comes. I'm going to read it to you. I'm in Isaiah 30. If you're a Bible-carrying homie, bust it out. Go to Isaiah 30. We're going to kick through this quick. Isaiah 30, verse 1. Prophet says this. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of, of, of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of, of Egypt? See, at that time, Egypt was like the Discovery Channel cliche version of Egypt, right? Pyramids, military, pharaohs, you know, all the statues of them, they're all doing the robot, you know. Um, powerful, wealthy, all right. Um, you ever seen those Discovery Channel uh, episodes? Ooh, where did the pyramids come from? Were they actually built or were they built by aliens? You ever seen those? Yeah, yeah I, got a, I got a take on those. Um, that culture is where the children of Israel were seeking shelter. And this is, the, this is the scary part. And church, I'm coming at you right now because God's been coming at me on this. So I, I make no apologies for this. You know, you ready? They are identifiably God's people, but they do not trust God to meet their daily needs or to provide their daily bread. They trust the culture. They trust the culture. They trust the culture. Their hope is in the culture. Their hope is in this government, in this culture, in this place, in this country, in this other narrative. And, 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 and you, could, you could tell these guys are going down to Egypt and they're on their camels. They're like, no, 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 no. We're doing the right thing. I mean, we're God's chosen people and they seem to be doing really good. And same story, same story. And God is telling them, no, it's not the same story. I'm sorry. My sons and daughters, I didn't call you to go seek out you know, in fact, he goes, on to, he goes on to say this, if we can look at this real quick. Verse 12, verse 12, therefore says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly and in an instant. How in the world are they trusting in oppression and guile? Well, you know aliens didn't build those pyramids, guys. You do know that, right? It was stinking slavery that built those pyramids. Only in America could we even float out a show with that kind of premise because we have no memory. 
The carcasses of slaves have been found again and again and again, caught between the massive bricks of those pyramids and the other bricks that they touch. We have found the barracks where these slaves lived. They got pumped in, pumped out, died. Pumped in, pumped out, pumped in, pumped out. And that's how you're able to do things like that. That's what they're seeing, saying, wow, the power, the power. And they're going back and trusting the very thing God led them out of decades before. And I love that image of the bulge in a high wall. It's like when we, when we trust in, and again, I, I, you're just me to me. So I love my country. I love the people, my neighbors, my community. I love it. I believe in voting. I'm not, don't, don't read into anything or take anything the wrong way. But I'm not going to trust anybody but my sovereign Lord who sent his only son to become flesh to take every jacked up thing I'd ever done and everybody else had ever done and wrap it in his body so that his body be nailed to a cross and that stuff is destroyed. He buries it in a grave. He bails on the grave three days later. That stuff is gone. And he says, believe in me. And that stuff will hold no power over you ever again. That's why I'm going to put my trust in my faith, you know. That's where the, you know, I want my family to put our, the, our trust in our faith. Because when we put our trust and our faith in these walls, ultimately, they're going to fall. They're not designed to do what we want them to do. And so God, who is awesome, I mean, the name Yahweh is used in this chapter like 21 times. Um, he says in verse 18, therefore the Lord, that's a typo, forgive me, it says alongs, I should have caught that this morning, longs to be gracious to you. I always go through my slides the morning of to make sure, and I, I don't have typos, and I didn't, go, I didn't get it. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. I don't know if there's a more awesome, powerful, deliberate, in-your-face message that if you repent, you're going to get loved on. He is dying to honor that. He is crying out to pour love into you and on you. But repentance is a major churn. When I'm at, you know, Cheesecake Factory and Chitwood's looking across the table saying, Johnny, is this your dream job? And... All those voices come up on this shoulder, and this one still small voice is whispering to me over this shoulder. That's my moment. That's my moment when I can turn my entire life, and I can move in that direction. And we have moments like this all the time, all right? It, it never ends. And this is the process that results when you have this moment. Uh, I am. Okay, good, 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 good. So I'm going to jump to Romans 6. A little bit of crazy. You don't have to go there. Just stay with me. Just You stay in Isaiah 30. But I'm going to go to Romans 6, all right? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to, self, to sanctification and its end eternal life. Now, I'm going to move quick through this, and I know there's a lot of scripture already this morning, but just stay with me. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I think the church is crippled by this belief that everybody around us who is walking in destructive and self-destructive ways knows it and feels terrible about it. And they do not know it, and they do not feel terrible about it. 
They are free in regard to righteousness. And I remember what that was in my life. How many years did I go without loving on these children in Africa when God called me to do that when I was in college? I was free. I didn't, have, I didn't walk around having guilt because I was neglecting kids in Tanzania. I needed the prophet. I needed a prophet to speak into my life and to, and to voice that back into my life again. And that's what Chitwood did for me. All right? Well, but the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and then become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Romans 6, 20 to 22, but now that you have been set free from sin. Christo alitupa uhuru akataka tubaki huru. Basi simameni imani wala msikubali tenakua chini yanira ya utumwa. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, which is on you. Keep standing firm, sucker, which is a term of endearment in my church family, by the way. The word sucker, it is, yeah. Um, people will shout it out sometimes when they get pumped up about something. It's awesome. Um, keep standing firm, my brothers, my sisters, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Yeah. All right? Don't do it. Uhuru is ultimate freedom. You have been set free. But what are you going to do with that freedom? That's the big question before you. Well, what would happen if you were totally set free and you realized it? And you go to the one who set you free and you just said, hey, all this freedom you've given me. Can I just give it back to you? Can you just, can you just take all this and I'm going to be your slave. I'm going to be your servant. And we take the freedom God's given us from this stuff and we say, I want to be a slave to you. I want you to, and that's sanctification. That's when, when, when God takes, takes that and the fruit of sanctification starts coming out your life. It's because you have given over your life to him. Not a portion of your life or 70% of your life, but you've taken it all like, you know, kid and, you know, candy day. <laughs> and you said, here, I want to give it back to you. I want to give it to you, God. And he takes that. Whatever you give to God, he will always take it. He'll never deny it. He'll always take it. And the end is eternal life, which is what we want, you know. We want aeon zoe, eternal life, life that never ends. And so I'm jumping back to Isaiah 30. Although the land, uh, verse 20, thank you, Jesus. And this is the, the moment when, when, when God, he, he, he's already told them, look, I want you to repent. And if you repent, I'm going to pour my compassion and love into you. Remember that? He's already told them that. But now he's going it, to, it's almost like he's, he's saying through the prophet, and this is exactly what's going to happen step by step after you repent. Although the Lord has given you the bread of privation and water of oppression, he your teacher will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. I know you know that the Lord has challenged you. You've gone your own way and he's not let you thrive. It's because he loves you, buddy. But now, you're going to see Jesus again. Could be the Jesus in Luke 4, 18. Stands up, teaches in his hometown synagogue. Everybody's like, oh, 
wonderful Jesus. Well, we're proud of him. It's, that's our hometown boy right there. He gets his scroll. He cracks open that jar. The scroll gets handed to him. He opens it up, uh, puts his finger down, and he says, I came to give sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to bring release to the afflicted, and freedom or liberty to the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Chunk. Walks over, sits down. It says in the text, all the eyes, everybody's eyes were like on him, right? <laughs> and I was like, I bet you he whispered this. He sits down and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. What he's saying in that moment, you, you know, during my apologetics lessons all back in the day, that moment was all about Jesus saying, I'm fulfilling prophecy. Let me tell you where I'm at with that today because he is fulfilling prophecy, but that's not what I think the heart of that passage is. I think what Jesus is proclaiming to all those rabbis and to those synagogue dwellers is, hey, guess what, guys? I came for blind poor, afflicted, jacked up, broken, imprisoned people. If I can hang out with them every day, I'll be really happy. Well, I love it. And how often, though, are we the opposite? We see blind, poor, afflicted, oh, takers. Oh, no, I, I don't have, oh, I got my healthy boundaries. Read my boundary book. Okay, justified. Bye-bye, poor people. All right. How often do we do that? I've done it. I did it for years. What if, what if, when we see Jesus, our teacher, reveals who he is, and maybe it's Matthew 25, whoever gives a cup of water the least of these, not the least of these who follow me, just the least of these, boom, has given it to me. What if we start seeing him again and how he lived and how he acted, and that kind of fills us up, and then it starts pouring out of our ears and our eyes. Like, we're that jar of clay, right? But we're all jacked up, right? So sometimes there's holes in the jar of clay, and light, it's like he puts this glorious light inside the jar of clay, and these like, lightsabers are shooting out of it, you know, and people see all these jars of clay, everybody's broken, but man, there's something different about you. What is different about you? What's Jesus inside you and the light coming out the top and pouring out the edges and that's what I want for us, you know. Here's my warning and I spent a long time on that point and I appreciate you staying with me. But church, if you're not careful, you will skip seeing Jesus and you will jump to your ears will hear a word. Because you've heard a lot of words. Just this last year, I preached, I mean, 60, 70 sermons. And sometimes I call my wife up and I'm like, I say to my wife, when's, it, when's enough enough? Like, am I even helping anybody? And she'll encourage me and she'll remind me about this and she'll remind me about that. But it is a lot of words, guys. What we need to do is stop crutching off the words of others and start looking into Jesus' face. Psalm 17, I won't be satisfied till I see the light of his countenance. And when you see his face, he's going to say crazy, paradigm-breaking stuff to you. And then you're going to do it. Because once you see it, then you're going to hear it. And when you hear it, he's going to say, this way, buddy, go that way. And then you're going to go that way. And I purposely broke the scripture at this point on the screen because this all sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? Well, now it's going to get a little violent. Um, so the next step is, of course, and you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold. You will scatter them as an impure thing and say to them, be gone. Right. Yeah. 
He is always going to whisper to you. When he reveals himself to you, then he's going to speak to you. And when he speaks to you, it's going to be leading you back into your life, and you're going to see all this junk around you, and you're just like, no, 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 I'm not doing it anymore. And that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to, Dave Ramsey says in the first 30 seconds, when he talks to somebody on the telephone, he knows whether or not they're going to get that free. Now, that sounds a little presumptuous. If you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey, the brother has been doing debt freedom for decades. And I believe him when he says that. He says there's a certain just certainty and just spiritual reality in the voice of that person when they're on the phone. And I know they got the fight in them, and they're going to get this done. That's why it's be gone. There comes a moment in your life when you got to just say, be gone, junk. Get out of here. I'm done with this. Jesus called it cutting off hands and plucking out. At some point, it gets serious, and it gets violent. I'm not going to live this way anymore. So these are 400 people. It's hard to see them, but 400 people. Um, it's half of my runners at LA Marathon this last year who said to their idols of silver and their idols of gold, be gone. I came to a church just like this. I did my best to pour out my heart for clean water and invited them to participate. And now they're going to become living scripture, if you will, living examples of Isaiah 30. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's my homegirl, Susie, from Montrose Nazarene, 72 years old, hands in her commitment form after the service with a trembling hand. And I was nervous, man, because this was one frail lady, all right? And she's like, I, I am going to walk that half. You said it's walker friendly. I said, yes, I did, Susie. Well, I've got to do my training, right? And I said, you've got to do your training four days a week. But if you do it, you will cross the finish line healthy. 99% of our people cross the finish line healthy. That's actually a real statistic. She did it, united her entire family around her, gave 26 kids clean water for life through her run. And there are members, amen, praise God. I need to spend more time celebrating too. And there are members of her family in that photo that are not following Jesus. And they were rocked by her example. 1,000 invites to church wouldn't get them to come. But they came down and spent six hours on that race course with her that Sunday. All right? Check this one out. This is Susan Mossman and her daughter, 17 years old. They'd never done anything together. And the dad was like, ah, man, Johnny, I like your sermon, but I'm never doing that Team World Vision thing, man. Just, I just need to let you know. And that sucker ran the full right there, buddy. God got his heart. They did the charity relay together, the half marathon distance. He ran the full, crushed it. This whole church team right here is in El Segundo. Funky body shapes, crazy out of shape folks. They fundraised more per person on that team than any other team I had. Out of 600 runners, that little team crushed it. Yeah, and then, then there's guys like me. I mean, and I have hard times too, guys. That's what, this is me at Pismo, at City of the Sea, a couple years ago. Most photos for me for about a three-year chunk of my life look just like this. Out of focus, I'm yelling or jumping, okay, or hitting something like clapping my hands or hitting a desk or just getting pumped up. Um, but I went through something about 18 months ago where I was not, I wasn't fighting cancer or anything like that, but where I was really going through some health craziness, man. I got sick. It lasted 12 weeks. I have severe asthma. It's one of my bullets I may not have mentioned earlier. I was on four prescription drugs for that and two prescription inhalers. Um, I was, uh, I put on all this weight cause I was on a prednisone, you know, and, and it was just, it was a nightmare, man. I got really down and, uh, um, and uh, I'm going to skip this video real quick. And I got to go to uh, Kenya. 
And uh, oh, that's Shane Mosley. That's, that's where I want to be. I got to go to Kenya. And when I went to Kenya, um, I do this thing every year. This is kind of my closing word to you right now. I'm feeling the Spirit say, do it. And so I'm doing it. Um, every year, now this is going to sound very nerdy, so you can't judge me, okay? okay. Are we good? So every year since 1997, I do my What Matters Most season. It lasts two weeks. I get a brand new journal and a brand new pen, and I have eight questions that I ask myself. And it is about me. Re- I, I got it from the Franklin Quest time management seminar back in the mid-'90s. Anybody remember Franklin Quest? I'm that dude that digitized his cassette tapes, put them on his Amazon Music so I can listen to them when I drive. All right, I have every cough and, and, and laugh memorized in those tapes. But once a year, I would do this what matters most time. And the first two questions you ask are the same questions Shane Mosley would ask in his basement every year. He, Shane Mosley, if you don't know who he is, is one of the greatest boxers ever, okay? Um, amazing boxer. He was like a Mike Tyson power fighter, but he was also very strategic, very, 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 very enjoyable to watch because he, the science of boxing was just in his DNA, but his, his dad was his manager, which is rare. And so an interviewer asked him, how do you stay so effective as a boxer? And he said, well, I fall out of level boxing every year, which blew my mind. It was 2001 I heard him interviewed, and he said this. Stay with me all these years. What do you do about that? He said, well, I'll tell you what I do about that. I go into my basement every year. In my basement, I've got my dad's old recliner. I take two jugs of water down, and I sit in that recliner, I don't eat, and I don't sleep, and I ask myself two questions. The first question, Shane Mosley, who are you, man? Who are you? What does it mean to be you, dude? Like, what are you about? What are you going after? And the second thing is, what do you do? What is fighting? What does it mean to be a fighter? I mean, go back to that reception desk. See, we'll laugh if we think about that, but if you're working a reception desk, you need to ask yourself, what is that? Where is Jesus in that? And he said to the interviewer, I don't come out of that basement until I have my answer to those two questions. I read, reread all my notes on this plane going to Kenya, and the next day, I met this man, Moses. And he said, Brother John, I would like to give you a PowerPoint presentation on how we do development in Bartaba region, Kenya. And I was like, I've never been to Kenya before, and you're going to show me a PowerPoint and not just take me out. And he's like, it's good, Brother John. It will be good for you and for the team. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, shut up and listen to this man. (laughs) Shut up, sit down, and listen to this man. And you can't see it. It's going to be too dim. But I took a picture of his first PowerPoint slide. And the first questions on that slide, guys, you can't make this stuff up, is who are we, who are you, and what do we do? These are the questions I'm asking you today. These are the questions that matter most. No, Johnny, my salvation, my faith question matters most. Your faith question is wrapped up in these questions. Who are you? Who owns you? Who calls you? Who drives you? And what is it that you do? What if I told you that by walking a half marathon or running a half marathon, you could do more good for a bunch of kids in Kenya than if you moved there and lived there for a year and came home? What if I told you that a whole bunch of y'all are acquaintances right now, 
But if you say yes to a crazy journey, in about four months, you will be family. You will be family. My buddy Steve Bunyard's a missions pastor at Rolling Hills Covenant Church. He says, Team World Vision is like going on a short-term mission trip every weekend. That's my word for you today. Okay, that's my word. Now, I want to tell you what's going to happen next. I'm going to kind of pass it back to Chatty and just let him kind of do what we've got to do. But at the end of service, right here in this section, right here, I'm going to have a meeting. It'll last 12 minutes. I've been trying to get it at 10 minutes, but it'll last 12 minutes. And it's on what, ha- what, Johnny, what if I heard that voice whispering over my shoulder, you need to do this. I want you to come to that meeting, and I'm going to tell you what Team World Vision looks like. Coming to the meeting is not committing to doing it. But if you come to the meeting, it is because that voice was whispering to you, right? So just say yes and come to the meeting. Stop listening to those voices that have been keeping you from doing awesome stuff your entire life. It's got to stop at some point, right? I love you, church. It was an honor for me to get to be with you today. And I hope you're at that meeting, and we're going to change some kids' lives if you all will say yes. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, praise the Lord. Um, So just really quick as we close, um, because we're human, turn to the person next to you and make sure they're human. (sighs) Turn to the other person. And then if you're confused, you can poke them or ask them. I felt the Holy Spirit, because as John's, I didn't know he was going to pass it back to me because I was ready to get saved, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll do the call. <laughs> Here's what the Holy Spirit whispered. He, 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 he said this word. He said, uh, catalyst. I just asked him, because I'm not going to get all nervous, because the Lord actually knows how to lead his church, amen, his spirit. For some of you, you're like, big deal. Marathon? No, 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 no. What if it's a catalyst to living an entirely new life and going an entirely different direction? See, because we're human, many times it takes a tragedy or adversity or something that is just so overwhelming that our lives finally change. But what if it's something we volitionally choose to say, no, 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 no. Running for water, Lord Jesus, coupled with your spirit is going to be a catalytic moment and adventure in my life because I devote, I want to live the rest of my life for more than just me, but for your purposes and for your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in power right now. We just release, we agree with this word that has been spoken And we ask, Lord, that you would search our hearts. You know how to do it. We don't have to guilt ourselves or get Mm. all shame-filled. And, well, am I good enough? And Mm. the answer to all those is, of course not. But he wants to be good and big in you so that he can be big and good through you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just put on hearts right now that voice that says, yes, 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 to walking in a new story a new identity, a new purpose, and a new life. And so, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name right now, as we dismiss, that you would put just a, a, a faith, I pray, a release of faith in this place, that, oh, man, if the 70-something-year-old woman could do it, I could do it. Or the 13-year-old, I could do it. Or the 86-year-old, or the 32-year-old with three kids who struggles with sleep, I could do it. 
and all in between. Lord, I pray that this would be a catalytic moment in the life of Cornerstone Church. Father, as the pastor, I declare it will be so, Father, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our city in Santa Maria, the region, the state and nation, God, of a church that is marked not by what's in it for them, but what they can give to the king who set them free. Father, and we will be caught up for eternity looking at the wake of our choice, even today, to run after you, literally and, and metaphorically. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.